lapel mic on, I just wanted to comment. One thing I forgot to mention with regard to our giving, uh, because of our generosity, uh, we were able to purchase a new laptop for the church. And uh, Pastor Dave sought out the kind of laptop that is really going to fulfill all of our needs. You know, we've been struggling a little bit with the media and video that we've been trying to, to show. We're doing more than we used to do. And uh, we were using, uh, Pastor Dave had volunteered the use of his laptop for several years, and it had just about reached his capacity of what it's able to do, and we were probably pushing it a little too much, so we wanted to make sure that the church got a new laptop that was sufficient enough to take care of all of what we need to do with videos and audio, and it seemed to be running great. Uh, everything looked perfect today, and I don't believe in jinxing anything, so I'll go out and say it. Praise God. <laughs> you know, he blessed us with enough income that we could purchase that. It was around $2,500 is what the cost was, but to get a uh, something like that, that everything is going to run through, you got to get a, a good enough uh, Machine. <laughs> Thank you, machine. I'm looking for some new 21st century term to use. Machine. That'll do it. People used to call cars machines. You know, all my machines parked out there in the parking lot. But anyway, and there was one more thing I wanted to mention, too, is that, uh, you know, uh, with the weather getting colder, the crumb bakers wanted to be sure to find a nice warm place to go to this week. And believe it or not, Iceland is going to be warmer than it is here this coming week. So maybe they'll be basking out on the, the uh, shores of some lake up there some, somehow. But uh, we hope that they have a safe trip now. I'll turn this off so we can start. And we're all working together. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now. And I hope you have your Bibles ready because we're going to use them. And we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity of hearing your word preached, coming together as a, a family, a body of believers, and a, a family of faith. And we've come here to, to hear from you, Lord, so we know you have a message prepared for us today, and we look forward to hearing it with the help of the Holy Spirit, not just hearing it, but understanding it. And bring us now to the depths of understanding you intend us to, to, to be at, Father. And we thank you and pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our sermon today is going to start off in the Old Testament, and it's going to move to the New. So let's turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This is a beautiful psalm, and if your Bible is like mine, it's got a, uh, an introduction before verse 1. It says, Psalm 34, a psalm of David, so he wrote it, and it actually tells the circumstances as to what was happening when he wrote this. It says, when he pretended to be insane <laughs> before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So to give you a little bit of background, it refers back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21, I'm not going to turn there, but if you want to look that up later, you certainly can. Uh, David was in a foreign land, in a Gentile land, and he, David fell into the hands of King Abimelech, a king of the Philistines. And David's life was threatened, but God worked with him in a way that he was able to uh, do certain things. And, and finally, Abimelech released him. Uh, he had him in his clutches. He could have, he could have taken his life and, and killed him. 
David had been praying to God, and through different circumstances, God worked it out that Abimelech decided to just release David so he could go back home safe and sound. So David, upon his release and return back to his homeland, wrote this psalm of praise to God. And this is what he says, Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who took to him, those who look to him rather, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Let's focus on verse 8. This is what David says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, for many years, going back to my, my early years when I first opened the Bible and started reading it, I was always a little confused by that phrase. What exactly does David mean by that? Taste and see that God is good. How in the world can you taste God? <laughs> or how in the world can you, you know, uh, experience that? Ta Why does he use that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, this particular psalm in this case is written like many of the uh, Proverbs. And if you read the, the Proverbs especially... Each verse has two phrases. It's called parallelism. It will make a statement, and then the very next phrase will further describe or further uh, examine what the first statement said. So you got two statements, and that's what's found here in verse 8. He makes a statement, then he makes a second statement to further clarify the first statement. So the first statement is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, the second statement, very similar, but it clarifies it a little bit. It says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So, in other words, what he's saying here is to taste God means to take refuge in him. To taste God means to experience God, to call on him for help, to draw near to him, to seek him out, to find him, to be in relationship with him, in other words. That's what David is saying. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, cry out to him. Call out to him for help. Experience him. Get to know personally what it's like to be in relationship with God. And you're in for a treat. You know, there are some things in life that you cannot really understand until you experience them yourself. For example, I can describe to you what riding the world's largest roller coaster is like, and I did that at Cedar Point years ago, the tallest, the fastest roller coaster. I can try to describe to you what that experience was like, but it's nothing like you experiencing it yourself. Or take for example, a triple-layered Rocky Road Super Deluxe Chocolate Cake. 
that might be on your dessert plate. I could eat a piece right in front of you and tell you bite by bite how wonderful it tastes, how scrumptious and delicious it is, but you wouldn't be satisfied with me just telling you about it, would you? you thank you, Melissa. I expected that from her. <laughs> you have to experience it yourself. It's no, you know, you can try to describe to somebody the first time you kissed your mate, but until you experience something like that yourself, you don't really know what it's like, the, the kind of the thrill and the excitement that goes along with it. Well, it's the same with knowing God and having a relationship with him. You see, I can come up here every Sunday morning and tell you about my relationship with God and some of the lessons that I learned and some of the experiences that I had, and you might sit there thinking, oh, isn't that nice? But it's nothing like you experiencing a relationship with God yourself firsthand. And you see, that's what David is trying to encourage his people to do. You know, he was just saved from death from King Abimelech of the Philistines. So he's writing this psalm and praising God, but in the psalm, he encourages everybody who hears this psalm, including you and me, taste yourself and see how good the Lord is. In other words, you experience it. Don't just listen to my story. You know, I enjoy telling it, and that's fine. God did a wonderful thing for me. But you, you establish a relationship with God. He wants to do similar things for you. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. He wants to be there with you at your side as you go through trials in your life. Experience it for yourself. That's what David is saying when he says, taste and see. And by the way, that's the title of the sermon, Taste and See. Like I said, I can tell you about my relationship with God. I can describe in great detail how God saves us, how wonderful His mercy and His, and his grace are, how good His promises and His commands are for us, and what my experiences have been but you really won't know what I mean until you experience it for yourself. It's not sufficient for you to just sit here every week and listen to, to what I say, or Pastor Dave, or Pastor Nora, or Pastor Steve. The encouragement is for you to experience it yourself. Like that chocolate cake, you've got to dig in and taste for yourself how good it is. And that's why David wrote Psalm 34. He invites all of us to taste and see that the Lord is good. David himself had experienced it. He had been trapped deep in enemy territory. He was rescued by God. And you know what? God will do the exact same thing for us. God will deliver you one way or another. So whether it's in this life or through death itself, God's promise stands firm. He guards your life your eternal life, and to do that, He stands close. He keeps you believing. He provides all that you need to serve Him. God is good. Cry to Him and taste it for yourself. Get the point? That's what David was trying to say. That's what it means when he says taste and see. Experience your relationship with God. Don't just listen to other people's versions. I mean, that's fine, but it's nothing if you don't experience it yourself. Okay, now let's turn to John chapter 6 in the New Testament, because Jesus has something to say along these same lines. And I think it's appropriate that today we have a communion service. 
because uh, we're going to be able to, in a physical sense, taste and see how good God is for us because there are physical elements to take and to uh, experience and enjoy. But in John chapter 6, this is a very important chapter because Jesus is talking about experiencing Him. And that's what we should all be doing as well. Notice what Jesus says in John 6, verse 53. John 6 and verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, don't forget David said, taste and see. Jesus says something similar here. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55, For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, we're kind of getting an understanding of, of what he means here, because we, we read what David said about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Jesus is saying something similar. Now, of course, a lot of his audience were very offended by what he said, because they were only looking at the physical. They were thinking, is he talking about cannibalism? What, what kind of Messiah is this guy? He's saying that we have to eat his flesh, literally, and drink his blood? Ooh, that's disgusting. And they ended up walking away from Jesus because they didn't get it. They didn't grasp the spiritual meaning that Jesus was trying to give. Let's get some background on this chapter. Uh, starting in John 6, verse 1, this was one of the times that Jesus fed a multitude. So let's kind of skim this real quickly. John 6, verses 1 through 13, he feeds 5,000. And we know with the bread and fish, uh, he produced through a miracle uh, food for these people. Notice it says in verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip said to him, eight months' wages could not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So it was one of these all-you-can-eat deals. And the people loved it. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So the theme of this chapter is eating. It's all about eating. So first of all, Jesus supplies physical food for the people because they were hungry. They had no place to go to, to find food. So he fed them physically. So let's read on a little bit more. 
After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So don't forget, the people wanted the Messiah and wanted him now. So Jesus sensed that because of this miracle, this huge crowd of 5,000 plus people were going to take him and revolt and, and try to place him as king. And Jesus said, whoa, it's not time yet. I haven't accomplished what I came to do, to die for the sins of, of the human race. So he said, this is too soon. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to disappear. So when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. So imagine, he not only walked on water, he walked